Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to episode 48 of the Jet Centric Podcast. This is AJ, one of your hosts. And um, yeah, just so you know, I guess it's been six days since our last episode, and uh, I was sick for two days this week, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then went back to work Thursday and got sent up north for a day and a half so uh created some delays on my part which delays everybody else usually too so sorry for the lack of content but we do have some stuff for you and a lot of uh, upcoming stuff too um this episode though uh we have um alistair doing an interview with uh, scott wheeler of the athletic uh, he's based out of toronto so i'm sure some people will, you know roll their eyes at that but uh scott uh, he, he's he's got a good twitter account he's a good writer he's an interesting guy i think and uh, so, yeah, they have an interview together. And then also Daniel has a chat with um, Derek Gagnon of Arctic Ice Hockey. Uh, they kind of revisit some of their, their uh, preseason predictions and just kind of catch up on some things. So uh, I won't say too much else about it. I'll just let you listen and find out. But uh, again, sorry for the delay for some content, but just to let you know things coming up. Um, we have Kurt Keel back confirmed yeah the voice of the jets 1.0 so uh you have that to look forward to that's coming up probably in a, uh, two weeks or so um just heard back from Lindsay hamilton from tsn if you ever watch tsn sports center she's one of the hosts there um she's down to to uh to do something so gonna follow up with that uh blake spiller of the portage terriers that's gonna be happening but i've kind of left them alone because they're in the the middle of playoffs right now so probably not the best time to do it we'll probably wait till their season ends and um you know, maybe they win it all. Maybe it doesn't end for a while. Uh, Patrick Williams, we're still chasing him down. I mean, great guy and uh, love his writing and his time when he was here in Winnipeg. But uh, it's uh, he's really down to do it. I know he is. He's He's been great. But as far as finding time and communicating, it's been a bit difficult. I know he's a busy guy with the AHL stuff he covers. Also, the interview with the Queen, Her Majesty, at the Jets games, uh, sort of unofficial mascot of the Jets. Um, I play soccer with... Uh, the gentleman who actually plays the queen so uh still that's uh in the works might wait for the playoffs when i'm sure she makes another appearance so that'd be fun just to tell some fun stories um we are doing ace burpee trivia show but now i'm thinking might be best to leave that one until um the off season might be a fun kind of filler and a reminder of the jets and then roddy is uh, working on some interviews with Ezra Ginsberg of uh, Illegal Curve, also Melissa Martins from the Free Press, and uh, Scott Oak. Uh, maybe we'll wait till Oak's in town again, uh, covering the Jets for for a night and uh, catch him catch him while he's there. I'll talk about the recovery center. Also, uh, Sean McKindo, uh, down goes Brown. Um, he has uh, has a book out that's getting quite good reviews from those who who uh, have read it. I haven't read it yet. I want to make sure I do before I interview him. But uh, he's cool to come on. So that probably uh, after the, the playoffs, likely for that one. Uh, Bartley Kivis is still down to do the show. Uh, Bartley from uh, Free Press as well. Um, we're going to just talk about the business side of, of True North. That one might wait till the summer, but uh, he, he's down to do it. Just need to come up with a good list of questions. And then also Max Giese, who's a scout for the Winnipeg Jets. He is interested in doing the show, um, but we'll probably look at something after the draft anyhow. So just want to let you know, we are still working on a whole bunch of different things. Um, probably have some repeat guests too. Oh yeah, there, um, um, 
uh, Frozen 4, I wanted to do something with Brad Schlossman uh, and Alex. Uh, Brad Schlossman writes for the Grand Forks Herald, covers uh, UND, but he's probably the best college hockey mind around there. Or as far as like, certainly from a historical standpoint, he seems to remember everything. And then Alex Heinart, who's the uh, play-by-play announcer for UND. Uh, he's a great announcer. I love him. He's, uh, he's going to come on. And then there's some people uh, from a group called Seymour Sports um, who also cover UND and college hockey. And also, of course, our friend Jake Baskin, who's a huge college hockey nut. I wouldn't mind do some um, combined episode of the four of them, uh, not all together, but uh, four kind of separate hits and uh, have that as a bit of a, a lead up to the, the Frozen Four and the, the college hockey championship for those who enjoy that stuff. So. Lots of stuff coming, and I've been talking now for 4 minutes and 19 seconds, so I apologize. Let's get to the episode I told you about. Here's Scott Wheeler, and follow that up with some Derek Agnew. Enjoy. Hello, Jets fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Jet-Centric Podcast. Uh, I'm Alistair. I'll be your host, and I'm joined by Scott Wheeler uh, of The Athletic. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be on. So uh, you cover the Leafs and the Marlies for The Athletic. Um, since you're a bit out of market, would you mind telling our fans a little bit about who you are and how you got where you are? Sure. So uh, I began sort of writing and, and doing journalism, quote-unquote, uh, about five or six years ago, um, just sort of writing for, for local newspapers and, and sort of the the area blogs that cover the Leafs in the city. Um, I did a little bit of scouting for McKean's Hockey and Future Considerations, and then one thing led to another. And I went to journalism school and did a bunch of internships with um, various of the newspapers here, whether it's the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail. And then uh, ultimately, once I graduated, I landed with The Athletic. Uh, early on, I was just working part-time and, and kind of writing three, four days a week. And then uh, eventually that sort of parlayed itself into my full-time role now where uh, for the last couple of years at least I've been covering the Leafs and the Marlies and, and the NHL draft um, sort of across the, the athletics network and uh, that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Well, uh, fantastic. And uh, so covering the, the Leafs this year, uh, what, what's your take on where they're at right now? Uh, um. It's, I think they're in a little bit of a weird spot. They they obviously came out of the game and, and looked like the most dominant team in the league, Tampa Bay included, for those first sort of 20, 25 games. Um, they just looked unstoppable. Their power play was unstoppable. Their offense was unstoppable. Frederick Anderson was playing the best of his career. And then everything has kind of stabilized since then, and I think they've settled into a spot now where um, – they're probably in that sort of five to ten range in terms of league-wide and where I would project them if I were to sort of rank all 31 teams. And that certainly still makes them a contending team, but I think they've come back to earth a little bit. And um, they're the kind of team that I could see getting bounced in the first round by Boston or I could see going all the way. And Obviously, there's a number of teams in the NHL that you can say the same thing about, just given the parity in the league nowadays. But um, I'll be interested to see how far they can take this. The Leafs have an extremely tough road having to go through Boston and then Tampa Bay in the second round, and the odds are certainly stacked against them. They have the talent to do it, but um, I'm not sure the execution is there, and they've looked pretty mediocre for the last couple of months. So uh, they, they need to get hot, and they're going to need to get exceptional goaltending. Mm-hmm, absolutely. 
Uh, I'm just curious. I've seen this come up on Twitter a few times, but uh, how big of a role do you feel that coaching has on a bit of the, the slump they settled into? Uh, I, I think it certainly does play a role. I think Babcock is to blame for some of the issues that they've had this season, whether it's been a defensive zone breakout. They rely a little bit too much on the stretch pass rather than using their speed and their skill to sort of skate or make short passes out of the zone. Um, and, and that means that they get caught hemmed in a lot and their forwards end up getting so far out of the zone for, to, to receive that stretch pass that they're flat-footed and all of those things have kind of contributed to some some struggles defensively. And then uh, line combinations and deep pairings have certainly been a, a cause for criticism for Babcock throughout his entire tenure, quite frankly, in Toronto. Uh, I think a lot of people are concerned about Ron Hainsey playing on the top pairing with Morgan Riley heading into the playoffs and people expected that Muzzin would find his way onto the top pairing and play with Riley rather than Hainsey, who has really struggled particularly late in the last couple of seasons when he's running into injury, or not injury trouble, but more fatigue than anything. Uh, and he's the oldest player on the team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, that's certainly going to be a, a persistent issue for them, and that's on Babcock to fix and, and find a, a better match. But uh, ultimately, I think he's done a good job with this team. Nobody expected them when he took over to be this far along in, in their sort of process and to be a contending team at this point, so that's a good sign. But there are certainly some issues that I and others have highlighted in, in the way that Babcock has gone about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, from from a, a very Jets-focused perspective, I, I feel like there are a lot of parallels there. I wonder, do you have any comments on, you know, similarity? or any similarities between the Jets and the Leafs? Uh, well, I think the, you look at the, the Jets and the Leafs, and, and they're constructed in a similar way in that they're extremely top-heavy, and top-heavy with predominantly young talent. Obviously, the Leafs have John Tavares as, and, and William Nazem Kadri as their two veterans up front, and the Jets kind of have a similar look with, with Shifley, who's sort of in that veteran status now, as young as he still is, and obviously Blake Wheeler as well, and... Uh, I think the biggest difference between the Jets and, and the Maple Leafs is uh, maybe that the Leafs have a little bit more depth up front, whereas the Jets have a little bit more depth on the back end. The depth on the back end on the Jets, I would argue, is certainly considerably stronger than the Leafs' defense core is. And um, I would probably argue that, that Frederick Anderson is the better goalie, though I think they're both capable starting goalies. So um, there are certainly some some parallels in, in them and in their games and the style that they play and their reliance on their young talent. And this, I think their cap situations are also going to be extremely similar over the next couple of years where um, they're both going to run into some really tight cap situations after they have to pay their star players. So uh, there are definitely some parallels between the Jets and the Leafs. And uh, in, in terms of coaching, do you, do you feel like uh, Maurice and Babcock have – similar strengths and weaknesses, or, or do you feel like they do have an appreciable different style? I, I think they're similar in a, in a couple of ways, actually. I, I, I would argue that in terms of roster construction and their lineups, that they're quite similar. I think part of the reason that Nick Patan and, and players like him never fit in as depth players with Maurice is because he prefers to have kind of a more traditional checking fourth line, and Babcock is certainly the same way. It's funny because Kyle Dubas has given Babcock a lot of talent to work with in terms of sort of skill guys like a Tyler Ennis and a Nick Patan that he can use on his fourth line, and Babcock has always kind of leaned away from that. And I suspect that Maurice and 
the way that they, he runs that fourth line is is similar. So uh, I, I think they're both great tactical coaches and they play a decent system. But I think in terms of the way that they assemble their lines, there are certainly similarities and parallels to be drawn. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, thank you for bringing up Nick Patan. That's uh, <laughs> sort of a natural talking point for our two teams here. Uh, so I, I'm really curious. I read your article, obviously, at the Athletic about uh, the trade when it happened. Uh, have you have your opinion? Has your opinion on Patan changed at all since you've seen him in Middle East jersey a few times? Um, not really. I, I, I've had a pretty good base, even dating back to his junior days when I was scouting the NHL draft, and he was a part of it to kind of track his trajectory in his career. Uh, and I've obviously seen a, a good chunk of him in the AHL as well, just with the coverage that I do of the Toronto Marley and Manitoba swings through here every so often. Plus, I was out there earlier in the year for a story and, and paid them a visit and watched them practice and that kind of thing. So I've been able to get a good sense of what kind of player he is. I certainly think that he performed better than his usage when he was in Winnipeg. All of his results were extremely positive, but he didn't really play. And and then when he did play, he tended to play sort of extremely low in the lineup. And he's kind of done the same thing in Toronto. I think his results have been good, but it hasn't shown up in big point totals. He has just one point in five games. And I think that's driven largely by the fact that he's only playing six, seven, eight minutes a night, and it's hard to produce when you're doing that. Um, but I think he's a fine player. I, I, his, he's kind of a tweener for me, one of those guys who probably isn't quite talented enough to play on your first line or your second line and, and doesn't really fit the mold of what a coach like Mike Babcock is looking for in a third or fourth liner. So it kind of puts him in a tough spot. But I think Kyle Dubas certainly likes him in that he went out to inquire, acquire him and then recently also signed him to a two-year extension, even though he's only played five games for the Leafs. So I think the Leafs are, are set on using him as a consistent third or fourth line player moving forward. And using him on the second power play unit, and he's played on the second power play unit recently and looked quite effective there as someone who can kind of create a little bit more offense than some of the other depth players that the Leafs have been using on that second unit. Um, So I I think there is a role for him in the NHL somewhere, and I think that's probably as kind of a depth forward who adds a little bit of flair to your checking line, if you will. Um, So I'll be interested to see how it works out, but Babcock certainly hasn't hasn't loved him yet, I don't think, and, and Babcock takes a lot of time before he really gravitates towards players, so maybe it just will take some time, but the Leafs certainly seem to believe in him. Oh, absolutely. I was thrilled to see he got to that contract extension. I've been a fan of his for, for years, even though he never got a very much of a starring role in Winnipeg, but anyway, I'm a fan. I'm glad to see him, and I, I wish him all the best over there. I hope he turns out to be a, a great pickup at a budget cost for you guys. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I know the Leafs swept the Jets in the uh, the season series this year, but looking back, do you, do you have any uh, comments on the the matchup between these two teams this year? Uh, well, it's always been a lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed not just this year, but the last two or three years. I think that's been one of the more fun matchups. I was out there for the game earlier in the year for Winnipeg Leafs covering it for the Athletic, and um, I had a I had a ton of fun covering that game and. There are two teams that just play fast. They score a lot of goals. They give up a, a decent amount coming back the other way. And that's the way that the game is trending now, and I think it's a lot of fun. So I've really enjoyed that matchup. I think it would obviously, if it ever ends up as a Stanley Cup matchup, which is, uh, isn't really out of the question over the next three or four years, that it would be an exhilarating, exciting, high-tempo series. Um, both coaches are uh, – great personalities. I love Paul Maurice as a personality, and I think he's one of the more quotable people in the league. So um, 
uh, I really do think it would make for a wonderful Stanley Cup matchup, and I, I don't think it is out of the question. I think, obviously, it's extremely hard to make the Stanley Cup, and even when you're the better team, it doesn't always happen for you, and we saw that with the Washington Capitals last year. I didn't think that was the best Washington Capitals team that they'd ever assembled, but it was just kind of the right timing. So it's unlikely that it ever happened, but I think they're each regarded as one of the two or three best teams in their conference, and I don't think that's going to change. So maybe we do get to see an all-Canadian matchup someday, and I think it would be a ton of fun. Fingers crossed. My my mouth is watering at the thought of it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So one question that has been going around in our circles these days, uh, watching the Jets a lot, is like, Last year, it felt like they were a very strong team with or without the puck, whereas this year, it seems like they've been struggling uh, without it. Do you, have, do you have any thoughts on like the, the team's defensive zone play or their play without the puck in general? Well, I think they've, A, they've got a lot of players who aren't really built to play the two-way game. When I think of Patrick Laine, et cetera, when I think of Little, um, I think of players who are extremely capable at the other end, and it kind of reminds me of the Leafs last year with James Van Rinsdijk and Tyler Bozak, where Tyler Bozak played that second, third-line center role, and he created off the rush, and he created on the power play, and he put up big points. But you always sort of ask questions when he was on the ice about how often they were hemmed in their zone and the chances that they gave, gave up going the other way. And then James Van Rinsdijk was that same way with Patrick Laine, where I find when I'm watching Laine that um, – he he kind of tries to cheat for his offense a little bit, and he relies on that shot off the rush, and when it doesn't work for him, he's not all that engaged physically, and he's not all that engaged in his own zone. And I thought, actually a concern I have with Austin Matthews as well, where Austin Matthews has the size, but he doesn't play like he has the size a lot of the time. And um, I just think that it's a it comes down to team composition. Obviously, Nikolai Ehlers is a little bit the same, and there's just a number of guys in Winnipeg who uh, – aren't built to play that kind of heavy defensive cycle game that, that results in a lot of offensive zone time. And it means that they get caught playing like the Leafs do off the rush a little bit too much. And I, I think their defense is strong enough to sort of support the rush and, and play well defensively, but the forwards sort of need to be tracking back better and above the puck a little bit more. And so that would probably be my biggest observation. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I wonder do you think there's a, a new generation of coaches coming along that'll kind of change the way these teams are run to take advantage of that? Or do you think that, you know, the, the Paul Reese's and the Mike Babcock's of the world are here to stay? Oh, um, I, I think they, the game is slowly beginning to change. I think we're going to see more progressive coaches who are uh, better at taking advantage of that kind of a style. When I think of, even the Leafs and the Marlies, Sheldon Keefe is a, is a mastermind in terms of using the players that he has to their advantage and finding roles and lineup spots for them that work for them and making sure that his lines are well balanced so that if you do have a player on a line who tends to be a little bit of a liability defensively, that you can match him up with players who are uh, successful defensively but can also keep up with him in terms of speed and um, I, I think if Babcock continues to struggle over the next couple of years that you could see Sheldon Keith replace him. I, I don't think that's a move that um, someone like Kyle Dubas would shy away from. And I think the league is increasingly trending that way. I mean, you look at that Tampa Bay roster, and they are built to play fast and loose, and they do it as well as anyone has ever done it. And that Tampa Bay team is absolutely terrifying because they play faster than everyone else, but then they track back faster than everyone else too. And 
I think you can play loose in today's game and still be successful without having to play a sort of trap overly defensive game to make sure that you're not giving up goals. And certainly there are teams that do that. Barry Trotz has done an excellent job of doing that with the New York Islanders this year to really turn them around and turn them from an offensive team into a defensive team. And it has worked out for Barry Trotz. But I think certainly the teams that go deep in the playoffs are the teams that play fast and loose. And I think that this year you look at a Tampa Bay or a Calgary Flames and you really understand that they rely on their skill rather than their structure sometimes, and I think that's that can work if you have enough talent. And as teams begin to build for skill, I think there will increasingly be more teams that do have enough talent to play that kind of a way. All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I leave you with the final word. Anything to plug? Anything you want to say? Uh, no, not really. Just really looking forward to the playoffs and then leading into my NHL draft coverage. I'll have my final top 100 ranking for this year's draft in, in sort of the middle of May leading into the NHL draft. And then I'll be in Vancouver and really just looking forward to this year's playoffs. I think it's shaping up to have some great matchups. And then uh, it's going to be a big year at the draft for a lot of teams. And obviously the draft lottery is right around the corner. So that'll be a big night for the teams that don't make the playoffs as well. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, talk to you again soon, I hope. Cheers. All right. Take care. Hey everybody, welcome to the Jet Centric Podcast. I'm here tonight again with our returning guest from earlier in the season, Derek Gagnon. We had gone over uh, some uh, early predictions or predictions for the year at the beginning of October. If any of you uh, remember that one, I can't remember what episode number that was, but it was uh, we had talked about it the day of the Jets opening game against St. Louis. So if you want to go back and listen to make sure we're not just making stuff up, uh, stuff up as we go along to make ourselves sound good. Um, you can have a listen to that. It was the beginning of October, probably around our 20th episode or so. So anyways, uh, welcome back, Derek. I uh, hope you enjoyed the season so far as we uh, come down to the stretch run of the uh, near the playoffs, uh, under under 10 games left uh, to go here. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's been been a little bit of a while. I mean, we're not exactly strangers in the Twitterverse and whatnot, but as far as me being on the podcast, it's been a few months, but Interesting to see what we said and what is actually the case now. See how good my prognostications were. Yeah, it's it's always, uh, you know what, I don't often hear about anybody ever actually getting it right. So it's always just something fun, you know, that you like to do is think about the season and all that. And predictions are always very fun to do. So I was thinking, you know, what we're going to do is we'll again just start. I'll start from what we had um from when we made our predictions in october so i'll just run through those quick so we had in last place we had chicago uh coming in last at seventh minnesota was uh, coming in sixth place in the division of course i'm re- referencing the division uh dallas stars fifth colorado avalanche fourth st louis third place nashville second and the jets first so we're kind of okay on that you know actually we're not as bad as i thought maybe we would be at the time of the uh <laughs> At the time of the recording, I mean, you never actually know. Um, but so I'll just run down the standings right now. Um, just a, uh, a word for everyone that's listening. We're recording this during the Winnipeg and Anaheim game on, uh, what's the date the March 20th. So just so I don't right. sound funny when I, uh, when I list off the points here. Uh, so the Jets right now sit in first place with 90 points. Uh, Nashville Predators are second right now, 89 points. Uh, St. Louis Blues are third place right now, 84 points. Sorry? 
said, boom, three in a row right off the Yeah, bat. three in a row. That's our first three, yeah. <laughs> and then fourth place, uh, we got Dallas. So that was, we're you know, almost right on that. A few games left. Uh, fifth place, uh, Minnesota Wild, surprisingly enough. Uh, sixth place, Colorado Avalanche, uh, sitting at 76 points. And in last place, as we did predict, Chicago Blackhawks sitting only two points out of not being in last with 74 so what, what went wrong? We got the first three teams right, and then we kind of just fell off fell off the rails. So obviously our one biggest drop was uh, Colorado. We had sitting in fourth. Um, they're, they're in sixth right now and probably going to miss the playoffs. We did have them in the playoffs. Um, yeah. So what, what happened with Colorado this season? Just a complete lack of depth on that team. It's absolutely stunning how top-heavy they are in terms of forwards. We said in that first podcast that their defensive play was going to be a little bit of a liability. We were also looking at their goaltending with a situation with Varlamov and Grubauer coming in as a 1A, 1B. I haven't actually looked at the stats lately, but I'm assuming they're not that great based on where they're sitting in the standings. But apart from Rantanen and McKinnon and Landeskog, there really hasn't been much else in terms of offense for them. So, I was looking for a few other guys to step up there. Tyson Jost or Yost or however you want to say his name was a guy that I thought would kind of take a step this year. That hasn't been the case. McKinnon's been very good, but not otherworldly like he was last year. So they had some players that, yeah, they didn't play as well as they did last year this year and other players that just didn't step up in terms of depth or defense for them. Yeah, so I just uh, pop, pulled up the Avalanche. Uh, their goalies, yeah, they're definitely not good. And I don't know, like they each have a two uh, above 2.8 goals against and a 9.10 and 9.07 uh, save percentage. So obviously that's probably slightly below average, I would say, especially on the goals against. But that probably comes back a lot more to their relying on scoring five goals a game every single game to win because their defense, defensive depth or defensive players in general just aren't that that great right so that probably that's probably where where that correlates a little bit kind of like a lot of the time it's not always on the goalie right sometimes it's on giving up nine million high danger scoring chances you can't stop them all yeah a 910 save percentage isn't exactly bad it's going to be below average but that will also reflect what's in front of you a 910 could easily go up to a 913 a 915 and actually be average if you have good defense. It's not likely that the defense is going to be the difference between like 93% and 91%, but it still definitely impacts your overall ability to save pucks. Like, as you said, high danger scoring chances are going to be much higher when your defense just isn't that good. Yeah. And I, we remember that from the jets of a few years ago as well, even this season to, say something but we'll get to the Jets uh Jets a little bit later on in this so obviously Chicago we won't touch too much on Chicago we kind of just figured they're you know what they're they're past they're past their prime uh prime chances for the playoffs and they have their cups so we'll kind of just skip over them I mean sure it, it is it is what we what we expected there's nothing really shocking about them I, I don't know if you had any comments on that but uh yeah there wasn't I mean, really much like what I said in the, the earlier episode is that Patrick Kane is a great player who can occasionally steal you a win, and that's still the case. He's still a great player. He's one of the top scorers in the NHL. But overall, that team's just old. It's an old team. 
Um, it's not as old as Minnesota, I still don't believe, but it's still an old team, and you've got guys on the wrong side of their prime. Like, Jonathan Taves isn't getting any younger. Patrick Kane's not getting any younger. And they've also run into the problem where Corey Crawford is just no longer what he used to be uh, when he is playing, and that's not as often as they would like it to be because of injury concerns. Yeah, so kind of what we expected. You know, he did have the concussion that he was dealing with from last season all the way into the season, so that doesn't help them at all. And Cam Ward is also very old and not very good, so that doesn't uh, <laughs> that doesn't bode very well. Um, so, uh, so the Dallas Stars, we had them. Uh, we predicted fifth. They're in sitting in fourth right now. So kind of around where we had them. We had did have them maybe in the playoffs. I think we had said it depended on the uh, yeah. on the California teams, which have been very terrible uh, other than San Jose this season which is something that we kind of you know actually I think we had maybe I don't know if we mentioned it but I, I think we had figured two two of the three would make it instead of one of the three and the two that are not making it are last and second last in the conference I do believe so that's uh, that's interesting but uh, so we had Dallas uh, what did I say Dallas was in fifth and they're sitting in uh fourth place and in a wild card spot right now i do believe so they are tracking for kind of where we pr- predicted them to be so what well, went right for dallas this year obviously you know we kind of they are kind of who we thought they were i guess in that sense uh really the biggest one that leaps out to me has been the absolutely phenomenal play over the past couple of months of ben bishop um i just don't know how he takes these massive steps every once in a while where he's just so, so dominant and is one of the top goaltenders in the NHL. I know he recently had a little bit of an injury that prevented him from really going after the the consecutive shutout streak, but once he gets back in the lineup, and that might be already the case, I haven't really checked his game stats lately, he has been playing so, so well for them. And unlike Colorado, who hasn't gotten the goaltending, when you do get the goaltending, average or better, it's usually good enough for you to get in the playoffs. Last year, they missed out by three points. Earlier this year, we were saying, you know, like my thought was that they were going to miss out, but barely. And right now they're in. So we'll see how they go over these last 10 games. If their goaltending can still be great, I see them getting in. If it kind of goes back downhill, they might, you know, slide out. Depends on some other teams like Arizona, who was not in my calculations at all. We made from the playoffs, but what do I know? <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, actually one point I just popped up on the stars. The stars, their uh, player stats here, just quickly. Uh, uh, ben Bishop started 41 games. This year and uh, Kudobin has started 32. So they've kind of kept them uh, like a 1A, 1B, which is, I yeah. think, something we had mentioned as well uh, the last time. And Bishop uh, did, did get a game in on the 19th. That would be uh, yesterday, I guess. So he is, okay. he is back and had his uh, streak, unfortunately, snapped. But it was still a pretty, pretty nice run. He went on there. And you're right. You're right about him. He's rocking a 932 save percentage with a, a 2.05 goals against. So he's been uh, very lights out, especially of late within the last... I'd say, what, the last month or so, even uh, as they climbed the standing slowly? Absolutely, yeah. One thing with him that, I, that I've heard a lot about people talking about, Vezina Trophy consideration, and when you say stats like that, 
there's two stats that really leap out and you go, wow, yeah, he's a Vezina contender. And there's another one that leaps out that says he's not. And it's the 41 games. I don't know if you give the Vezina to a guy that has split the work share almost evenly. Okay, not almost evenly, but with Kadobin playing 32, I don't know if he's going to get as many votes as he might have otherwise. But yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, I, I you know you you should assume it's a guy that's played like 60 plus games. That would be you know if he put up 60 plus with those kind of numbers. That yeah. would definitely put him in the conversation, you know, the top three, top five uh, in the voting, potentially winning. I, I, I think he uh, will be a finalist based on what we've seen right now. But if I had to pick one, I, it might go to a guy like Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay. I don't yeah, know. yeah, Vasilevsky, he's, he's had a great season over, in, uh, over there in Tampa. So one team that's been a very interesting uh, case this year as we move on from, uh, from Dallas has been uh, the St. Louis Blues. Sitting in third place in the uh, Central Division now, uh, two up on Dallas for that uh, top wild card spot. In December, I was really ruining my my choice to pick the Blues to go into the third spot when they were like sitting around where Chicago was in the standings, and then the emergence of Jordan Bin. Well, can't even say it. <laughs> Jordan Jordan Binnington. That's yeah, he. The uh, <laughs> that's the guy there. He, you know what? He basically saved their season when he came up from uh, from the AHL. He he's been incredible since he's been up there, rocking a sub two goals against and a nine thirty uh, save percentage yeah. for a, a ridiculous eighteen four and one record with five shutouts. That's in uh, in only twenty three games started. That's just that's 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 crazy. That's that's nuts. And they also had a coaching change. They fired Mike Yo and brought in like for the life of me right now I can't remember the name of their coach but uh, uh Craig Craig Berube they brought in that was that's, oh, yeah. that's the guy there yeah I couldn't remember that but anyway so yeah so they're right where they're right where we had them they just took the long way to get there I guess they wanted to make it interesting yeah, on that so uh, so we talked about we talked about it's okay we talked about uh, Bennington obviously coming on and one thing we had mentioned before was their their center depth, and I assume that's going well over there. I obviously haven't paid a lot of attention, except when the Jets uh, line A scored five five goals against them earlier this season. But uh, other than that, you know, do you have any other thoughts on the Blues and you know, kind of how they got to where where they they are? Well, one of the things we had mentioned was that that goaltending was going to be a really big key to their success, and we mentioned Jake Allen being the starter there at the start of the season, and then having Chad Johnson as the backup. And that I had major concerns about Chad Johnson being able to do NHL backup uh, quality performances. And turns out Jake Allen wasn't a starter quality either, as I very much knew from my fantasy hockey teams that (laughs) suffered because of him. But Bennington, I got it, comes in and just, just saves the day. It was an absolutely incredible run that they've been on lately. And by lately, I mean like since basically the new year, it's, it's interesting to see them climb up the standings and they could be an interesting opponent for the jets. If the jets don't finish in the top spot where they're currently sitting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been a, that's been an incredible run. I was just counting out. They had a nice streak here. A one, 
they had a nice streak of like a dozen wins in a row and February was the month where they really kicked it in there. They won like 14 of 16 games or something I see here with a loser point in there. That's just, that's, that's crazy. That's <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, so that, that's quite the run they went on and that's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, just imagine being a fan, you know, you have, you're watching, you know, Jake Allen again, you know, turning back to his old inconsistent self. And then you got this guy coming up from the AHL. I had heard of Jordan Bennington before and I don't, didn't know much about him, but just to see him come in there and just dominate the way he has been pretty cool to, to just, to just kind of see them. Uh, I was kind of worried they might be creeping up on the jets there, but they're six back of the jets for first uh, five back in Nashville for second. So hopefully we got enough room, enough breathing uh, room on them. So we don't fall into third or something like that. But Based on the amount of games left and the strength of schedule that the Jets have, I don't think that St. Louis can catch them. It's possible, especially the way that, as you said, St. Louis has been playing as of late. But I think that Bucker is probably okay. I'll try not to eat my hat in like a couple weeks' time. <laughs> but. Yeah, I think I think they're they're pretty good right now. Um, so the only team other than the Jets or Preds we haven't touched on is the Minnesota Wild um, right now what did I say earlier they're sitting in fifth place in the in the division and yeah. just uh, a single point out of the uh, second wild card spot uh, from Arizona yeah. um, we said they were old and that they probably wouldn't make the playoffs we had them in six so basically we were correct on that um, I don't know but like they've been you know what they were doing well to start the year and then I guess the age just caught up with them and a little bit of bad luck maybe and Dubnik probably wasn't as good as we said he had to be to get them into the playoffs or into uh, at least another big blow that they suffered was losing Miko Koivu for the season it's not necessarily from the the statistical standpoint because Koivu is not exactly the best player on that team but you lose your captain in the middle of the season it's gonna hurt you um, yeah that's a good point yeah even if it is just intangibles and what he brings to the room. Miko Koivu has been around the game for a long time. He's been the wild captain for a long time. And that's a void that you can't really fill, even with, say, a trade deadline acquisition. I don't even know what they picked up at the deadline. They actually, uh, I was more surprised with the guys they got rid of. They got rid of Nino, Nino Niederreiter. That was one uh, interesting move I thought they made. It. Uh, there's a few other older guys, I'm sure fans of uh, the wild would like to see them get rid of for potentially younger guys. They did get rid of Mikael Granlin for Kevin Fiala, which is, I thought that was a pretty good move for the situation they're in and more of a maybe build towards next year kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so trading, Nino out to, uh, to Carolina there for what the heck is that guy's name? Uh, Victor Ross. Victor uh, yeah. That's uh, quite the, quite the deal there uh, for sure. So that was yeah. maybe I'd call that a mis a mistake in that sense, and that was I was kind of just shocked at that 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 move. That even I don't know how you're ever going to rationalize that particular trade, but yeah, that was a little stunning at the time. And even as we've seen Victor Rask be in and out of the lineup for Minnesota, while Nino is storm surging his way towards the playoffs, very interesting trade. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, 
just just tough to understand i guess i know i i don't i was kind of i'm kind of speechless on it really just just the thought of it i i just don't understand that one so anyways we'll move on from the mess that is probably the minnesota wild to uh the jets and the preds so we'll start with the preds um like i mentioned we had them uh second place in the central where they're sitting right now and fighting with the jets for first overall in the in the central uh, division not quite fighting for the conference or the president's trophy as we had both the Jets and yeah. Preds uh, fighting I, for. I heard so what's that earlier today? I was like, president's trophy. Yeah, they're not in the hunt for that. Seeing as that wrapped up a few days ago, as Tampa Bay clinched the other day, they're sitting at a nice hundred and nineteen point, hundred eighteen points right now. That's with nine games left. That's that's a story of its own there. Mm. But so we were right about the Preds and Jets fighting it out for first in the Central, at least. So, I mean, obviously the Central division is a lot weaker than, or even the Western Conference as a whole, yes. has been a lot a lot weaker as than we had anticipated comparing uh, even using. That's basically what I was using, you know, when I was thinking about the standings is, you know, what, what were they last year and why can't they be better this year or vice versa so now i'm thinking why are they worse this year in the sense that they've fallen off at least the jets had i can't remember they had over 110 points last year i believe if i'm not mistaken they're can I maybe believe pace. they have to win out in order to match their points total from last year which yeah right. I believe was 110 yeah so that's that's something in itself i think they'll probably just push 100 both uh, nashville and the jets this year so they're uh, 10 that's like five wins difference from last year if assuming they don't win obviously assuming they don't win out which i mean is possible but unlikely yeah um so just the the fall off of both the jets and the preds has been we'll start with the preds why what what went wrong there there is some inconsistent play there um we mentioned that pecorino was going to be potentially getting older he at one point this season was absolutely terrific. He still is absolutely terrific, but the consistency has kind of sometimes been there, sometimes not. He has he has more off nights now than he previously has. Offense hasn't really been all that strong for Nashville. I remember thinking back to every time I've seen Winnipeg play Nashville this year, seeing a very predictable offensive game plan for Nashville that I think people are catching on to and if they have that defensive skill they can negate not everybody does have that skill it's it's still uh, a team with a lot of skill that if their strategy isn't that great they can overcome it with that skill which I kind of see also with the Winnipeg Jets huge amounts of skill maybe not the best coaching in the world and it's hurting them so, yeah, Nashville, kind of where we thought they would be, but 20 points fewer in the NHL standings. Yeah, that's that's the uh, the more surprising part to me is just the fall off in the, the overall wins and stuff. That's, I mean, it's just, yeah, a lot of inconsistency, uh, some goaltending inconsistencies, especially for Nashville. Um, they're one uh, bigger, bigger, I'm using uh, air quotes right now, trade dying trade line acquisition and Wayne Simmons scored his first goal for, for Nashville the other day. <laughs> when um, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, you go. I was going to say, I just didn't see it. Was it anything spectacular or just a garbage goal? Oh, I, I haven't seen that one myself. I just remember knowing that when Wayne Simmons name was getting tossed around ahead of the trade deadline, 
I couldn't for the life of me understand why. Yes, he has a name that people recognize, but the stats just didn't support going out and getting him. He has been a power play specialist that is no longer effective on the power play. It'd be like if Patrick Line was no longer good on the power play at all. Although that's kind of been the case lately, but he's nah. actually <laughs> game. And Wayne Simmons is significantly older than Patrick Line. So you know Patrick Line is going to grow. Simmons is getting older. And I just I didn't like that trade for, for Nashville. I know it kind of seemed like a oh, he's a guy who can be kind of gritty and score some goals for them. But I didn't see the need for them to go out and get a guy like that. Yeah, I, even people say depth, but is like you could have got a guy for a lot cheaper, or two guys for maybe exactly. even three for the same price, the same price they paid for the one guy. I think it was, what was it, a second-round pick and a player or something like that, or a first-rounder yeah. even. So just just like that, and actually, I I read an article in the Athletic uh, the week after the trade deadline. LeBron uh, had said there was a trade in place to send Simmons to Winnipeg um, late in the day, and then he ended up in Nashville through a series of events with uh, Mark Stone in Ottawa and Vegas and something something or other. Yeah. So that would have been uh, yeah, that would have been something. Obviously, we had already had uh, the Jets had already added Kevin Hayes at that point in the day. It was Hayes was added in the morning. This was like. 2 p.m. or 1:55 p.m. Eastern time or something like that, like minutes, minutes leading up to the the actual deadline itself. So that was that was an interesting read. I found that that was a fun, a fun read there. Pierre LeBron uh, wrote that one. Um, so now we'll go to what this podcast is all about: the Jet-centric podcast. That's uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, so we again we had mentioned they were fighting for the uh, President's Trophy. That's uh, that's out of the window as we had already discussed. <laughs> Um, we had Patrick Laine popping 50. He'd be lucky to get 40 now. I mean, he could still go on a heater and push 50 maybe. There's still a, a handful of games left. Uh, we had Shifley pumping in 120 points. Again, I think we were a little uh, little homer on that one. at 100 there. I don't remember us saying 120. Not 120? <laughs> oh, I no. wrote 120. Oh, no, oh, that's, no, no, that's a 100. Sorry, that's a bad, yeah. that's a bad like, note there. I don't think I went that absurd. <laughs> No, yeah, I thought that that looked funny on my paper there. It's it is a it is a hundred we did say. So he is only uh, I guess uh, now after tonight he uh, got an assist or a goal tonight. He'll put him at eighty. So t- pretty, he'll get you know close-ish to that uh, line. A again, fifty goals. Yeah. Um, and then we had uh, a line as a as a wild card, and obviously we know the the story with him and his playing in the KHL, and now he's back with the Moose and had a, a, a nice game last night actually. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I have uh, a D written with a question mark. So I think we are talking about their defense being uh, sketchy, and that is what it has been pretty much the entire season. Yeah, I'm still not really seeing what magic eight ball that head coach Paul Maurice keeps looking into to say that Dmitry Kulikov and Tyler Myers should be out late in game situations when you're up by one goal when you have other players on the team that are far better in terms of shutdown defense. Josh Morrissey is the best player currently healthy. Sorry, he's not currently healthy, but is the best defenseman they've had this season. Jacob Truba and Dustin Bufflin, very close behind. But even when those guys were all healthy, we kept seeing Kulikov and Myers. I don't 
Get it. Jake or even true. the old, or even the old Myers Bufflin that they were putting out when they were all all healthy there. That was even that just as scary in my in my mind. Myers doesn't belong on the ice in the final three minutes of a hockey game unless you're up by five goals. And I say that in the nicest way possible as a fellow six foot eight individual. <laughs> staple his tall legs to the bench and put on somebody else because it is just just a nightmare sometimes <sighs> that's yeah oh yeah we, we won't we won't dive too far down that uh, rabbit hole but uh that probably cost us a, a few uh a few games this year potentially i you know yes. recency bias and stuff like that but i i do assume that definitely hurt us and even Myers at some situations in the middle of the first period can cost you a game uh, cost you a goal so that's uh something that that obviously we knew was going to be sketchy is the Jets D and their D play um one bright spot on defense obviously through all these injuries and stuff Sammy Niku has gotten an excellent yeah. opportunity the past yeah. uh month or month and a half or so and obviously is a guy that I've watched a lot of with the Moose, and I know you obviously have been catching some Moose games this season. Not sure about prior, but Sammy Nico is a very bright spot on on defense that Jets fans should be uh, looking forward to. And I'm glad that he got his chance to emerge and potentially not be removed from the lineup when all is all is healthy. The way that it's been said um, with Moose head coach Pascal Vincent or Paul Maurice, Sammy Nico is a Jet going forward, which is great. Um, I think he really adds another left-handed mobile defense that can slot in with either Truva or most likely Bufflin and bring that dynamic offensive ability. He's, his defensive game is still growing. It's not quite what you could see from some other guys, but he's a top four, four, or sorry, a top four defender in the NHL going forward. He has made tremendous strides this year since his one goal in one game last year. Yeah, he's been he's been great. And I just I just keep dwelling on the fact that what if he had played more than what he has so far? You know, he's played I can't remember what game this is, maybe his thirtieth tonight as I watched him play against Anaheim. And he had only he played a I'd say what, fifteen or so with a boost, if I'm not mistaken on that. So, you know, he's played I'll say fifty games. I could be I feel like I'm pretty close in saying that. And obviously both the Moose and Jets are pushing uh, close to 70 or over 70 in the Jets case. So there's some games missing there, right? Like just imagine had he played more consistently early in the season when he was in the press box a lot, just how much better he could be today instead of, of... Yeah, a lot of healthy scratch there that really isn't all that beneficial to a young player's development. I know that there was times when injuries came up and you wanted to call somebody in to provide depth that you could feel that could step into the lineup. But I look at the Manitoba Moose roster, and there's two names that are a little bit older, but can easily step into the NHL lineup based on the numbers that we've seen from them so far. And that's Cameron Schilling, who's over 30, but honestly, he could be an NHL defenseman. I like his game that much. And Tucker Pullman who is now on the other side of 25 years old, uh, <laughs> one of the older Winnipeg Jets prospects, but also very capable of controlling a game defensively and occasionally putting up a little bit of offense. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a good point. And I will mention uh, Poolman was 
injured earlier in the season when the first yes. batch of injuries did hit. But again, Schilling did step in for, I'd say, 10, maybe 10 or less games this season for the Jets. And I thought he looked fine. You know, he's serviceable and that's kind of what you need. And that would be the guy that I had said and I had mentioned probably on the podcast in other episodes several thousand times that that's the guy I would rather sitting in the press box and have Niku play 25 minutes a night with the Moose yeah. if he's not playing with the Jets at all, right? And that's kind of the situation. I mean, you know, I get a couple healthies here and there during the season, give the guy a rest, you know, get his, you know, if he's struggling a little bit and that kind of stuff. I do understand that. I don't necessarily agree with it, but having a guy scratch for a dozen or 15 games is just not um, ideal for development. And that's just something that a lot of teams and the Jets aren't exempt from this that they just struggle with, right? So we're going a little bit off track here from, but it's, mm-hmm. it's always a good conversation to have. And, you know, it's different opinions are always important. And I like, I like to just get into that sometimes about how that goes and just play your player, young guys. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I, I'm for it. We have seen it with Marco Dano. We've seen it with Nick Patan where guys get stapled to a, a press box seat and seemingly get forgotten. There were times last year where I forgot Marco Dano was a Winnipeg Jet. It was that bad. And yeah, that's the other guy yeah. who is still under the age of 25 years old that is, in theory, still developing. Yeah, exactly. Like the prime, the not the true prime, but the prime, you know, is late 20s, right? So the guy's still developing up to the time they turn the wrong side of 25 or 26, right? So yeah. that's it's just it's just hard to see. Sometimes you're you know you have different ideas than than what. Uh, than what the professionals think. But uh, anyway, so we're kind of wrapping up on the on what our predictions were. Um, obviously, uh, you know, a few things might change in the standings in the next couple of weeks, which hopefully that maintains that the Jets are uh, remain on top. And I think a lot of that will be decided when the Jets host the Predators on Saturday. That'll probably be, I'm going to say, I'd say the winner of that game is probably going to be the Central Division champion. It's, it'll be a very strong indicator. We'll see if yeah. we get to raise that uh, Central Division Championship banner. <laughs> there will not oh. be a, a Western Conference regular season championship banner coming out of either Nashville or Winnipeg. <laughs> but oh man, that's that's going to Calgary. I think is what I'm what I'm hearing. But. Uh... <laughs> Um, so, so I just I had mentioned uh, before we started recording, I wanted to touch on the moose a little bit because I know uh, Derek, you write uh, for Arctic Ice on the on the moose, and you've been able to watch. I'm assuming most of their games this season, if not all of them. So, I know they're fighting for a playoff spot right now. Just a couple of points out with a nice uh, a nice. Actually, it was kind of a scary win last night, up three nothing and one four three in overtime. Yeah. That was that was interesting. But uh, so, how how are the how have the moose been this year? I know. They had a lot of injuries, and they're coming coming along now. Maybe a little bit too late, but just a couple minutes on on the moose, maybe. They, when I first gave my like season preview back in October for the moose, I was expecting a lot better things offensively for them. What we've ended up actually seeing is that they are have consistently been one of the worst offensive teams in the AHL. They rank 30th in goals for. They rank 30th in the power play. And if it wasn't for the play of Eric Comrie, this season would be long, long over. There are a few players that have played decently well for the Moose, but 
as you mentioned, there has been a little bit of a case where they could really benefit from their star players not sitting in the press box in Winnipeg and actually playing minutes for the Moose. Mason Appleton's a guy who's been, I don't know, I don't want to say he's underutilized with the Jets, but he's not getting, or he wasn't getting a lot of ice time for a while there, and he's also a healthy scratch on a few occasions. And for a guy that isn't eligible for, for waivers, just send him down. Give him 25 minutes a night. He was the leading scorer for the team last year. And that offense was really missed. A guy like Michael Spachek, who is either loved or kind of hated. I don't want to say hated. I don't hate any Winnipeg Jets prospect. But he's a guy that gets a lot of love that I've never really understood because his game just has never really leapt out to me as being phenomenal. He's a pretty good passer, but... He's also starting to get towards 23, 24 years old and hasn't been at that level of like near a point per game that we saw guys like Jack Roslevic, Kyle Connor, Mason Appleton put up, guys that have gone on and produced at an NHL level to varying degrees. So Spachek carrying your offense hasn't isn't really the best strategy, but Throughout all the injuries, there's other guys like Nick Cordellis, uh suffered a season-ending uh, season injury <laughs> very early on. Um, there's also been guys that have been gone for long periods of time. Ryan White was one. Um, Poolman yeah. was out for a while. Um, there was Skyler, other few... Def- Skylar McKenzie's one. CJ Cease has been gone since November. His season is also over. Uh, he was a guy that scored, I think, four goals in the first five games for the Moose this year. There's just been a real, real injury bug that's affected them. And then when the injury bug isn't affecting them, it seems to be affecting the or so the Jets, and they're losing some of their best guys to call-ups. So the one consistent player for them has been Eric Comrie. He is going to be one of the finalists for uh, the... That's a Baz Bastion goaltender of the year, whatever their goaltender of the year award is in the AHL. Uh, he, he has been phenomenal. He, he is the reason why they are two points back of a playoff spot. Although, I will mention, speaking of goaltenders, Mikhail Burden. Uh, the Birdman. The Birdman coming. <laughs> uh, that guy has been absolutely terrific since coming up for his second stint with the Moose this year. He is putting up numbers hovering around 930 save percentage, low twos in the goals against average. Um, Their goaltending has been really, really strong, and it's a reason why their defensive stats are right around the middle of the pack compared to their, like, rock-bottom offense. Will they make the playoffs? I don't know. They have more away games left than home games, and they've been significantly better at home than they have been on the road. But... With Appleton back, with Christian Veselainen, as you mentioned, with his handy-dandy dangling overtime winner last night against the San Diego Gulls, maybe they have that offense now. Maybe with guys like Spacek and Seth Griffith and Jansen Harkins getting pushed down to the second line where they might be more comfortable and not facing off against the best defenders that the AHL has to offer, they'll be able to make that final push in this last 10 or so games before the, the playoffs begin. Will they? I don't know. But right now, I am a lot higher on the team as a whole 
than it was even a couple of months ago when they were sitting rock bottom in the standings along with in the goals for and power play departments. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something. Obviously, the goal they have 164 goals this year. That's dead last in the AHL, I do believe, or second last. Is that is that what uh... well, I checked? I haven't looked in about a week or so, but they've been usually 30th out of 31. Right, so hovering in in the bad territory, but they have allowed less than 200 goals. I did take a quick peek at it earlier, so obviously that's fairly middle middle of the pack. I think it was 190 some or so. So that's that's you know around the middle of the pack. So the goaltending has been good. They just haven't been able to find the back of the net uh, yeah. often enough to uh, to win. So uh, you know, two points is not. They got to jump two teams. I believe they're in sixth, and they got to be in fourth place. So they got to jump the fifth place team and the fourth place team. So it's 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 there. It's in sight, and that's at least you know at least they're playing for something late in the season. That's that's what you want. Obviously, you want the playoffs, but at least you're playing for something. You're not just like we had seen with the first couple of years of the Moose, just playing for nothing in December or the end of November. Right? That's kind of yeah. what they were, and they knew in in those first few years the injuries weren't there. This year they had a lot of injuries, and that kind of I think it changes your mentality a little bit too, right? You know, once you get healthy, you'll be able to push, make a push, and they have made that push, especially yeah. in the uh, the new year or the last, I'd say even starting in February or so, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they've had like as you said, some of the injuries when they occurred, they weren't deemed to be long term injuries. Um, I'm not entirely sure. What is afflicting Nick Cordellis? I believe it's concussion related. And that's something that has really hampered his career to this point. It's why the Anaheim Ducks were willing to trade him away this past offseason in exchange for Chase DeLeo because it just wasn't happening for him. Whenever he was in the lineup and able to get comfortable, he would produce. But then injury would happen and it would take him a long time to come back. And he ended up playing only, I believe, one or two games this fall before suffering a season-ending injury. Uh, CJ Cease, I believe it was his shoulder. I remember watching that game and going like, ooh, shoulder, that's not good. Shoulders are kind of temperamental. And as was the case, he is now out for the year. So if they were actually able to like ice their best top three forward lines, I think they're a very good team. Christian Besselainen put up eight points in his first eight games with the Moose before uh, departing for greener, more finished pastures overseas. But now he's back, a little more seasoned. Maybe he helps them push. That goal yesterday sure seemed to indicate that he's willing to, not just willing, but able to play at this level and make some people look a little foolish at the same time. So if Comrie stays good, Burden stays good, the defense gets healthy, Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, but well. They're playing meaningful hockey, which is really all you can ask for for development for these guys right now. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll watch that. And obviously the Jets wrapping up. Uh, they're up 3 nothing on Anaheim uh, right now. I hope you weren't uh, PVRing that or something. But, uh... I was spoiled, <laughs> but yes. No. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, that was... Uh... That was good. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, obviously maybe I'll have you on before the playoffs again, or if we can work something out, maybe in the off season, or uh, or we can talk more Jets. Obviously, I have a lot of fun talking with you, and I hope I hope if you want to plug anything, or I hope you had a good time, and you're willing to come back at least one more time. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm I'm down for whenever, and for the plugging thing, ArcticIceHockey.com. 
we do stuff. Sometimes it's good. Please visit. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Derek. Yeah, no worries. Thanks.